0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guests are A.H. Almas and his teaching partner, Karen Johnson. A.H. Almas is the pen name of Hamid Ali, who has written more than 14 books. His works with Sounds True include an audio learning course on the diamond approach, as well as a program called Realization Unfolds, a dialogue with Adyashanti. In 1976, he founded the Ridwan School. Hamid's interest in the truth of human nature and the true nature of reality resulted in the creation and unfoldment of what he calls the Diamond Approach. The Diamond Approach is a path of wisdom, an approach to the investigation of reality and work on oneself that leads to human maturity and liberation. A.H. Almas and Karen Johnson have together written a new book called The Power of Divine Eros, in which they invite the reader to connect to the pure energy behind their desire. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, I had the privilege to speak with both Hamid and Karen about the reason it can be difficult for people to connect with their desire and how to work with the fear and longing that can come up when we do connect with our desire. We talked about what Karen and Hamid call the fire of containment and how to step fully into that fire. We talked about working with four centers in the body, the belly, the heart, the head, and a center that is above the head and how we can breathe into these centers as part of spiritual work. Finally, we talked about divine union and what it might mean to be a sexy angel. Here's my conversation. It was actually recorded in person at the home of Hamid Ali with Hamid and Karen Johnson on The Power of Divine Eros. I'm here with Karen Johnson and A.H. Almas, the pen name for Hamid Ali. And we have the pleasure of talking today, at least I am experiencing it as being on the brink of pleasure, of talking about the topic of divine eros. And I want to start by asking each of you to let us know what this term means to you, divine eros. How would you define it?
1: It's a a slight twist on the term eros, which... uh, As it reads in the book, um, the Greeks thought of it as the god of love. And for me, the love and the energy of life are one and the same. In fact, life is one of the things that also the Greeks and the Romans thought of as er erotic. But it became sexualized. And in our experience in the work, the kind of aliveness and energy that's involved in the process of opening and the soul's liberation into freedom brings a tremendous amount of of aliveness but also love. That there's a love and a aliveness that brings in a fullness and a almost voluptuousness in relationship to God, true nature and so on. And then as one becomes more and more uh, imbued with it, one realizes that is one's nature. Or it's one way of experiencing one's nature. Particularly embodied in the world in the way that we are. To know our nature beyond the physical, but to be embodied in the world and feel the fullness of that nature coming through and functioning through this physical vehicle and the individual consciousness and then backed up by the vastness or the immediacy of presence or true nature, there's an alive and erotic quality that when you're in interaction with another really brings out the fullness of the contact. And it's a, It can be sexual or it can be just the energy of interaction, but it's got an alive, playful, full, voluptuous kind of. Feeling to it, so when we talk about erotic in the spiritual sphere, it means that that the divine and the physical and the love is all one presence. So it has all of those characteristics, and it's pleasurable mm-hmm. and fun mm-hmm. and full and beautiful and mm. uh, it doesn't have to distinguish between physical and divine. Mm-hmm. It's it's the animal nature of our body, along with the divine of our liberated freedom.
0: Yeah.
1: So it purifies the animal, and the animal brings the aliveness to the spirit. So, no need to choose.
2: Yeah. I think of it as that many teachings and tradition have difficulty discussing uh, how to bring one understanding, one spiritual experience and realization into living, into actual life manifestation. You know, they discuss it as actualization or this, and, but there isn't a good language. Nobody goes in detail about what happens. So, this is our attempt to show that the realization or awakening or spiritual illumination. Flows into the world as action and activity and, and, and interaction and bring in new energies in some sense, uh, bringing energies that people are used to as a physical energies are limited to a, to a particular area, but are more with a spiritual dimension to them. So the erotic is usually. In our Western world, is seen to mean the physical and the sexual, which is, as Kant said, is not the original meaning of Eros, which is a god, god of love. So we used that and said, we, could, we didn't call it Eros, we called it divine Eros, because it is the same energy, whether it's expressed physically, sexually, or not, but it has a, divi- a divine quality, and the divine quality is the outflow of selfless love. That it is love, but it's it's a, because it comes from illumination. The love is not simply, I love you, I'm in love with you. It is really a ma- magnetism. It is like the life turned on to itself and is like a magnet who wants to come close to what's like it. Mm-hmm. You see? So there is. An attraction to what is beautiful, attraction to what is pure, attraction to what is awakened, and wanting to make it more so, and wanting to live life that ignites both people or a group or a community, so that they're all alive but not alive in the in the sense of just physically alive, but alive that has the aliveness of divine love. Divine love means basically love that is not self centered, which is your you love the other, you enjoy them, but you're giving to them at the same time that you're receiving something. So, Divine Eros doesn't differentiate between giving and taking, and does not differentiate between desire and love. That is one big thing in the spiritual you know, sphere, that there is a division between desire and love. Divine eros, we say, that's division at the beginning. Is there because there is no illumination. When illumination happens, the two things become one thing, one energy.
0: So this is really yeah. where my question yeah. comes in, because when I hear the word desire, or yeah. I hear you talking about our animal nature and talking about the sexual potential yeah. that there is in eroticism, what I notice is a concern that I have That the sexuality inside me is going to explode and take over and bring me into all kinds of territory that potentially isn't connected to love, that isn't connected to my heart. It's going to be animal nature gone wild. So how, how do you address that? How do we keep our Eros divine, especially when there's so much energy potentially unleashed?
1: Sounds scared (laughs) of it. Yeah, it's so huge. Well, that's why... Sounds good. Good beginning. Yeah, really, that sounds good. I mean, even even fear is part of working through some of the feelings that are pent up and caught up in uh, the energy of desire. There's fear, there's desire, there's all kinds of feelings that we're trapped by because we take ourselves to be individuals We take ourselves to be individuals based on a body and there's all kinds of things there that um, are reasons why many spiritual traditions don't venture into Tantra or sexuality, some at all, but some that's considered the end of the road when you venture into those things because you need to know divinity first. You need to have some sense of presence and what that is that you are that's, beyond the body, beyond one's animal nature, so that you can work through the animal nature in a way that allows that explosion to occur. Because it is an explosion, but not have it channeled through the usual uh, ways that it's channeled in terms of our self-preservation instincts, our social instincts, and it, it brings up a whole instinctual layer for people. So that means you have to really be able to practice and not act out
0: mm-hmm.
1: at those times. Allow the explosion and the feelings and really have a container that isn't holding back. Because the, the ego structure of personality holds those things in check so that we remain civilized. Yeah. But as we go along the spiritual journey we feel that explosion the container is presence itself, so there doesn't have to be a boundary there, but there's an appropriateness where you can explode and let it rip through your entire being without going, okay, I've got to have that. I've got to have that for me. I've got, it, it doesn't have to be the attaching and the taking in of the object and the cathexis and all of that. So it implies a certain level of having moved through that. And in the tantric practices, they use the explosion as a means to bring out the attachment. So if you don't act out on it, it will naturally bring out the issues that need to be moved through. But the more it's liberated, the more that energy has an intelligence on its own. It's not stupid. It knows what it needs, what it wants. And on the physical level, that's another person. But those are also very early... ways we learn to relate to another person, this is about divinity and how we relate to the divine, then that can be shared with another person, but it isn't the same kind of attaching to, it's not the same kind of action, it's an action that isn't based on that self that is uh, needing that, and there's nothing wrong with needing that but it isn't the same thing as letting the divine come through becoming a conduit for it
2: Mm -hmm. i think what divinizes the instincts of the animal is the inclusion of the heart the heart is the force that needs to be united with the instinctual drive whether for social contact or sexual contact or you know, work and all that. Bringing heart with it is a way of connecting the lower part of the body with the lower chakra with the heart chakra, you could say, The heart brings in not just love, selfless love. So when there is love and the love is selfless, it means it's not just for me, it's for everybody. That that infuses those uh, instinctual forces. It transforms them. You see, so eros becomes the divine eros.
0: Okay, but let's say see? somebody's listening, yeah. and they have an experience historically or a fear of an experience, or both. That yeah. once they really get into their sexual centers, their lower chakras, the energy that's there, that they won't have their heart connected. They have experiences in the past where they had affairs, or whatever. their heart wasn't there. They just woo, taken away. Well, it becomes a spiritual practice
2: then. They have to work on it. It doesn't happen by itself. So how how,
0: how does someone work on connecting the heart to that incredible force? How does one make sure the heart's connected and do that work? Well, first of
2: all, you need to, as Karen mentioned, to be aware of the instinctual forces. You need to feel the desire. Because many people actually, when we did the, the seminar, that saw this book, more people had difficulty with desire than with love. They couldn't feel their desire, most mm-hmm. people. So what well, that's the first thing is to be free, freely feel desire that I want. I really want that. I really desire that. Strongly without inhibition. That's a very difficult thing. out aren't in the Western culture.
1: And part of that is yeah. because it's so wrapped up with need. The wanting, the desire and the need all are Things that go together, particularly in our earlier years, desire and need are the same thing. But they need to be decoupled also, but also looking at what the feeling of need is and letting the need be there and finding out what it is that one needs. And um, yeah, so it, so it means working on historical yeah. kinds of things and then finding out that the energy of desire is a pure energy.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not just an I want for me, it's a, the desire energy is the energy of the universe being channeled in a particular way that has a grasping to it that's stage specific for human beings. Letting go of the grasping opens the hand and the heart to, it's just energy. And that's when the magnetism comes. And Hamid was saying that that energy has an intelligence that goes toward what's like it. Actually, I would say, go a little further with that, is that what is like that energy in me that is in you is not a separate energy it's the same energy moving through your individual consciousness my individual consciousness it has its own intelligence and that is what drives two people together or somebody on a spiritual journey on a certain in a certain way you can't make your heart do like the song says what it won't when you love somebody you love them you can't help it you can't you can stop it you can shut it down you can Pretend it doesn't exist, but if you're open, you're going to attract some people, not to other people, not because there's anything wrong with somebody or right with somebody else. There's an intelligence there that draws you. And so the like draws like, but there's also the individual consciousness where the differences create a kind of magnetism also. So the differences and the likeness as a a kind of blend and dance.
0: Yeah. So, okay, so there's there's two things that I'm wanting to go into here about, I think, why it can be difficult for people to contact their mm-hmm. desire in all of its power. And so one you've just mentioned, which is that then we have to feel this needy part of us that perhaps wasn't met, and there's grief potentially in that. And mm-hmm. so, so once again, I'm going to ask this question, which is, if I do contact those feelings of you know God, you know, it's so painful for me to let myself want what I want. How do I work with those feelings when they come up?
2: Yes, that's how you work with it. First of all, there are other reasons besides you know yeah. need. Like some people were abused or misused yeah. or mm-hmm. exploited, sure. and so they don't want to go. Yeah, need those needs or desires, and they suppress yeah. them and dissociate. All that need to be unearthed and worked with, and there uh, are different modalities of working with that. You see.
1: And that's why in our school yeah. we have private sessions where people can address the, their history and the way their own consciousness unwinds and how those obstacles arise for them personally. Yeah. It's very difficult to address everyone's sure. personal issues in a group setting, which is why private sessions became part of our work. Yeah. yeah. Whereas they weren't at first. And
2: an awakening by itself doesn't yeah. do it. Right. One can't be awakened and not have their instinctual
1: uh-huh interesting. Well
0: yeah. then how how are you how you know are you, you, define... you know many
2: examples of people very clear,
0: awake and sexuality
2: is messed up.
0: Yeah, how are you? Because defining, they haven't worked
2: through that stuff.
0: You're defining awakening, though, in, in what well, way? Well,
2: I mean, you know what is your true nature. You're in dual condition, or you experience the Dharmakaya, or, or the Brahman, or Sachidananda or divine love, whatever the tradition goes. Consider their enlightenment. You music. know that's
1: your identity, Yeah, you're clear that it yeah. is, you, you don't move. I mean, people
2: can experience that, can not be in that condition most of the time, but their action betrays the fact that their instincts are not still worked out. And for the instinct to work out, both to be unearthed, recognized, and their distortion understood. And then, as uh, their distortion understood, they begin to develop, to mature. And they develop and mature, that's when they begin to connect with the heart. But in the process, the heart needs to be worked with. Because some people their heart is closed. They can't feel their emotion, their feeling. And that's another area where people have to ex- ex- experience their emotion, their vulnerability, their fears, you know, their hurts, all of that need to be opened up and revealed so it's not in the way of the love expressing itself. When that happens, the instincts and the heart are naturally connected because it's a natural condition that they're all one thing. So if they're not connected it's because there are barriers. And the barriers has a lot to do with those, and you know, hidden patterns that come from our history or from our belief system. Or,
0: you know. Okay, so let's say someone's listening and yeah. they see themselves in what you're saying. They say, you know, I know my heart is actually kind of shut down yeah. in a lot of ways. What does the diamond approach offer to help the heart open?
1: Inquiry. How do you feel in your chest? What's happening there? What's going on? What kind of feelings are there? Very often people come in with issues from their daily life that are really alive for them. I I encountered this person. I had a reaction. I couldn't stop it. I'm still in it. I feel really angry, but I'm not really letting myself feel it. We just work with what's there, and people bring yeah. in live, burning questions from their life, not just, who am I? What am I? And, and that actually might help clarify something. Let's say somebody's listening, and there, you have the question of, well, how do you define illumination or awakening? Yeah. And um, for me, there's the awakened state of knowing what I am knowing what, whether it's the vastness or the clarity or you know selflessness or whatever way I might know that. And then there's how is that actualized in time and space? When you're beyond time and space, that's not an issue. But then when you get off the Zafu or off your chair or going into the world, there's the actualization. So we have, in our work, realization as one side of it, actualization as another side of it, in which the individual consciousness is a conduit for that realization to come through and function. And so the functional element is what we're talking about in terms of what develops, what needs to work through those issues, so the, the actualization is not just the consciousness-opening but actually developing in a way like a muscle that actually is moved by that realization in the world, relationally, um, mentally, physically, in all those ways.
2: And it needs all those energies, all those centers open and the energy flowing them to express that realization. So I'm thinking that when somebody watching this interview Hopefully, they come out with some kind of inspiration, some kind of confirmation of their experience, but also the realization there is work to be done.
1: The recognition of it.
2: That There are areas that are stunted or unopened or limited or distorted, and they know some, some, where do they need to put their attention to work mm-hmm. with it. And they can do it by themselves. For some people, for most people, they need help mm-hmm. from somebody else. Okay. And also in terms of activating the emotions, and the, we use also energetic methods, breathing methods. We do what we call the breathing where you work on the body and what are the blocks in it, what are the various blocks in the heart or in the pelvis or in the head through breathing and movement and all that, which exposes them, and they become exposed and energized. They reveal what is their emotions, the emotional pattern, and their history.
1: And then we inquire into those. But the yeah. breath is something that helps read. It's like a medium that helps to read the body and where the body is stuck. Yeah. So when you amplify the breath, allow the breath to come in in certain ways or move the body in certain ways, you see where it's holding back. And that structure is like a mapping of what is somewhat actualized and what is not. And it's a way of reading it without just going with what someone's saying, because often what someone's saying is just what they're aware of. You can read the body like a map of somebody's unconscious and see what's not moving, what's moving, and that helps to bring, it's a whole language that can be read and help to bring out more of what the person is not aware of that's related to the question they bring in or the reaction. So all that
2: have to do with the question of actualization, Mm -hmm. which is how to bring your understanding, your deeper experience into the world. You need to liberate all those energies, the heart, the, the instincts, also the mind the thinking mind and its capacity, all of them need to be really opened up and liberated so that the enlightened energy can flow through them. Otherwise it won't flow or it will flow in a distorted way.
0: One of the questions I wanted to ask you was about a belly-based breathing practice that you introduced as part of the teaching on divine eros.
1: I just want to point to the fact that things are getting kind of exciting, do you feel that? Well, I have to say, reading
0: the book on Divine Eros, I was heated up from start to finish. Uh I mean, literally like a fire inside me. So, yeah, I find this topic and the way Mm -hmm. the two of you talk about it intensely uh, uh, heat-creating. I feel excited right now.
2: (laughs) That's why we decided to do it, because when people discuss spiritual work, they think about meditation, they think awareness consciousness, emptiness, you know, surrender. Nobody talks about being turned on. What about fire? What yeah. about being turned on, being hot? Hot about life, not just hot and about something. And even the practice, there, there, there is a desire to There's a loving desire. Oh, yes, great to, to practice. I'll be more of myself and, and the world will be more alive. This is really a possibility. Right. It doesn't the, always that way, but well, it is I, a possibility. Okay, so I
0: want to talk about the belly yeah. meditation, and yeah. we're going to, but, but, but since yeah. we're talking now about the fire yeah. and the heat, I, I, yeah. I, I want to circle back because there's one thread that I, I didn't feel was really answered to yeah. uh, my satisfaction, okay. which is in feeling that heat, what I feel is a certain danger. Yeah. Danger. Explosives ahead. You're on fire. And you, you talked about containment and that we need to have developed a certain capacity of containment. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to understand more how to develop the confidence in that containment, how to help mm-hmm. people do that, mm-hmm. so that they can go into this heat with a sense of, yeah, I can step right into it and burn up. Right. How do we do that? How do we, how do we develop that containment?
2: It requires a maturity yeah. in one's individual consciousness. You see, maturity doesn't relate to pure awareness or... Ground of consciousness because that's already complete. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But the human being has a consciousness their own individual consciousness people call it mind or whatever that need to mature and the maturity is what helps it contain. The more mature it is, the more energy it can contain without spilling over. If it is still not mature it can't handle it.
0: So tell me what you mean by mature. What is that?
2: Mature means it has gone through experience, learned how to handle experiences, it grows. It's like the, the, the consciousness is like a similar to a biological organism that mm-hmm. develops and get mm-hmm. all you know, as, as the years pass, it actually has more capacity and more differentiated functioning and more intelligence and more discernment, mm-hmm. and, but also more capacity to hold. It's like it's bigger. So it has capacity to hold more, part of it, nervous system itself is developed yeah. as what happened because the body is included in it yeah. through breathing or understanding. The whole nervous system is not only unblocked, but also the new neural networks developed all over the brain and the whole body, which goes ahead with the, with the development of the inner individual consciousness itself, reveals more of its possibilities. So, and in our work, that maturation is related to what we call the personal essence or the pearl beyond price, which is to learn how to be a mature human being. As a person, you know who you are, you know your uniqueness, but but you also know the other uniqueness, and you know what is the appropriate relationship between the two. That's a discernment that, that is a personal, relational. It's not easy. Having universal consciousness doesn't give you that. We have consciousness, You want to hug everybody. You will hug them, but what do you do next? Mm-hmm. See what I mean? If you're there at the cash registers, you want to hug, you know, sure. the guy behind the, the, the counter, they want you to slide your card. They don't want to hug. <laughs> but if you just want to hug them because you're enlightened, that doesn't do it. You know how to slide your card first yeah. and sign, maybe then you can hug them or not, and they might not want to. But if you have the maturity, you know that. If you don't have the maturity, you'll become more impulsive or you're sort of overflowing through the seams in a way that's... And, and many people, people go blow out or inappropriate behavior and all that. So maturity takes time, takes experience. You have to come to a situation and learn how to deal with it adequately. You make mistakes and from the mistakes you learn. If you're really illuminated, you learn from your mistake. Mm. You're aware of your limitation, and you explore what is the limitation about. And as you see the limitation, and you see what the mistake is, then, true nature will present the qualities necessary, you see. Because the illumination has the freedom to bring up the necessary quality, whether it's intelligence, or it's discrimination, or it's strength, or power, or love, what is it? it, will come through in your function. So that's a process of development and maturation.
1: I think one of the technical things is practice. Various kinds of practices we have, and inquiry is part of learning about the issues, understanding why it's coming through in that way, like anger just explosive and fury, That's one of the things that comes with people's aggression, not just the sexual acting out, but the aggression, the anger, the hatred, all of those feelings that we think, oh, that's not very spiritual. I'm not going there. Why not? It's part of who we are. So to really be able to contain that means not, okay, just feel it. Don't do anything. It's like, no, get into it. Show me your hatred. Become that creature. I want to see it. Invite it out, become ugly, nasty, slimy, whatever it is, inquire into Those aggressive, down at the bottom of the muck feelings, it's very useful to have somebody there that's just going, let's look. I can deal with it. Let it happen. And that's where the power of our mm-hmm. nature Does
2: is... include the sexual energy the yeah so that the energy.
1: sexual the... yeah that, that's
2: it... what we call, this is what we call the tantra of everyday life yeah right. which is the topic for our next seminar yeah you know we're moving on from divine eros to the tantra of everyday life which is how do you work with the energies of life which come through all parts of us in a way that is more harmonious and more functional more uh, it does what is good for the human being mm-hmm. Without contravening the good of the other
1: so by feeling yeah. all the different feelings that we think are dangerous When there's someone there who's not afraid of them and helps you to learn to move through them and the issues of them that purifies them
0: mm-hmm.
1: and That it's not like it happened what happens once that comes round in in various ways more subtle ways um and those sometimes don't get identified right away until you hear something coming out your mouth that's an attack on somebody and you go, oh boy, I didn't know that was there. You know, and so you have a chance over time to look at those. But those energies are incredibly powerful. And I think our fear of them is justified. If we just let them rip without learning, without actually understanding their actual real place, then they can be damaging. And they can be destructive. So that, the
2: fears. Yeah, That's natural. why our work has some years of work. Some yeah. people say, well, you're using a law of psychology. But the thing is that people got their stuff. It doesn't go away by having spiritual illumination. You know, In fact, it can't be magnified. All these distortions yeah. can't be magnified. Yeah. So that's why we spend time you know, working with students. And they have teachers and guides to work navigate all this terrain of life.
1: Yeah, and in our the teaching too, to, yeah. our teaching of realization includes the barriers and the emotions and all of the skewed perspective we have. So, it's it's an interweaving. It's not like, oh, okay, we deal with the emotions and then we, there's the illumination behind that door. No, there's an intertwining in mm-hmm. our consciousness. In a mix of those things it's like it's there now just decouple them but how do you do that it's by discernment mm-hmm. so it's for us the realization and the actualization is a dance that we have all the way through it's not like we get realized and then you start working on the actualization yeah. Yeah, so like that's the, the beauty of it I like think. you
2: experience love some people their heart open they feel love a golden nectar for instance and they feel their heart, full of it, and they feel loving, whatever. The question then for the teacher is, when you feel this, this golden nectar, does it go down to your pelvis? Or yeah. does it just stay the heart?
1: Yeah.
2: If they ask this one, they realize it wouldn't go down. And they explore, why wouldn't it go down? They might encounter a fear, or some kind of desire they don't acknowledge. Yeah. You see? And uh, they, bec- uh, they become aware of that, and they work through it, the nectar descends. So after a while, the love goes through the whole pelvis, and that begins to connect it with the instincts.
1: Yeah. And the love, let it go to your head. No, why not? Because it'll take away my discrimination. I'll get all fuzzy and muddled. I'll, so there's a disconnect from here to here also. Yeah and so the the clarity or the searing brilliance that's possible in the mind the belief is that the love is just going to melt everything and that won't be there and it won't be able to discriminate when actually that's not the case at all yeah that when you really understand love that clarity is more so and when the love and the and the mind function together that enables an entire center to develop that can have a liberated dance of loving the truth for its own sake and having the searing clarity and discrimination that takes you there without, discer- without discerning prior to getting wherever you're getting, so you don't have a preconceived idea. But so the the centers in life, um, the more we connect the head and the heart, the heart and the belly, and the head and the belly,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, being clear in your pelvis and clear in your sexuality and your uh, presentation of who you are and that liberated energy, that just becomes a dance that just everything gets clearer, brighter, more discerning, and that's part of the process of maturing.
2: And it happens a practical situations, like in one's relationship to work, one's relationship to friends. One relationship to the lovers or family, where this area need to express one's realness. Because those areas are the difficult one to yeah. bring one's realness. So yeah. when we work, we, our well, we ask them, well, what's it like with your wife? What's yeah. it like with your, you know, and your job?
0: But there's plenty of opportunity for inquiry there.
2: Yeah, yeah? <laughs> there's always opportunity because. People living their life. We we, yeah. we, we don't have students who are living in monasteries. Yeah. You see, so they're interacting with life, some of them are political or activists and some of them are you know, they do all kind of yeah. things, the doctors and sure. lawyers, so they have challenges. And sometimes it's difficult to bring all this kind of elimination, and those challenges, so it takes time for them to mature and develop and,
0: Now, you've talked about the three centers, the belly, the heart, and the head, and and I wanted to focus on the belly for a moment, because in this teaching on Divine Eros, you you start with the belly. And Mm -hmm. so I I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what the practice is of breathing into the belly and how it relates to the
1: liberation of Divine Eros. Well, we start with the practice of breathing into the belly uh, as a concentration Kind of meditation, which is in many traditions, where you begin is to concentrate at the kath point, and that helps with embodiment. You know, the kath point being being yeah. a cent, the belly center. That's
2: the dan or it, the hara. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's kath, yeah. So that so a few inches helps to enable. develop
1: a center yeah. there that helps to ground. It helps to bring in embodiment, it brings you closer to your physical sensations at first, but over time that can help you be in contact with presence as a palpable, uh, sensate experience. So we start with that because presence is what's needed also to become the container, for those energies to get liberated. So we're kind of doing two things at once. We're waking up the pelvis, but we're also developing a center that can help be, be the containment.
0: Can you tell me very specifically how you instruct people in breathing into the belly? Meaning is the breath coming in from, uh, like a feeling of it coming in a few inches in front of the belly or down through the yeah, nose? Yeah, no, no, we
2: describe the... it in the book, I think, yeah. that the focus on the breath and the belly, they be, they're aware of how they're, they're breathing in the belly instead of the chest, the belly going in and out and then they focus their attention on a spot in the belly all below the navel and inside the belly But that's where the center is, there is no physical counterpart to it so it's a, it's a focusing of attention and sensation they're not thinking about it and in time if you keep that focus First you learn how to concentrate, but something is activated and grows and mm-hmm. develops as a center of energy. You feel a throbbing heat and intensity and which it brings in various kind of capacities. And it is the center actually that organizes the, th- the three lower chakras. Like all the three chakras, you know the lowest one in the perineum, the one in the root of the spine one of the solar plexus, the old all feed into the center. So to really liberate the center means also opening up all those chakras. So this is a meditation practice to work with it. But the inquiry then is that as you really focus, that open, brings up things, stirs up things there, and that's when the inquiry comes in. Not during the meditation part, but later on. with one's teacher or by oneself or journaling, you look into all the feeling and sensation, all the difficulties or anxiety that come up and try to understand what they're about, what they feel like, how come they are that way. And as you understand them, usually understanding means to experientially get the meaning of them, the import of them. If you, the full understanding of these things, uh, feeling the meaning of them while you are in touch palpably with them in time will reveal some qualities of being because they're all distortions or coverings of being and its qualities because being is inseparable from the surface manifestation they're all unified so if you really follow it it will take you to a quality of being and and uh, we focus the belly center at the beginning because we work with presence. We don't work with awareness or consciousness or knowing. Or we work with presence. Because pre- and presence is most strongly recognized if the, le- the belly center is developed. Mm. It gives, like, uh, because awareness is like light. It has to do with the head center. Love is like fluid, like a nectar in the heart. In the belly center, presence is like a fullness and palpableness, you see. Has almost a substantiality, but not a physical substantiality. But we work with
1: all of them. So yeah. We work, we with, we work with all of them. We, we start work. with this.
2: Mm-hmm. We, we think of it as the roots of the tree. Mm-hmm. That you, you're growing a tree, you want its root to be deep and strong so that the tree doesn't you know, topple at some point. If we develop the higher centers first without strong roots, it's wobbly. It's mm-hmm. not s- certain. So we develop the belly center first.
0: Now, in the book on Divine Arrows, you talk yeah. about four centers, the three that you've yeah. mentioned, the belly, heart, and the head, but also a fourth center above the head. So I was curious about that, if you could say more about that fourth center, and, most importantly, how do I activate or open it ASAP?
1: <laughs> Boink! <coughs> <laughs> that one is activated, really, when the other three are harmonized. Uh-huh. So... What is it you think you would get if your fourth center were open?
0: The purity of my soul would pour through me beautifully and fabulously and unimpeded.
2: That's my yes. guess. You're but I'd like, to hear, but I'd like to hear
0: more about it. From, it, it from, from, you get, from that's
2: happened. people yeah. frequently experience the descent of uh-huh. forces, the sense of presence, the sense of grace and all of that. And three really descends from that center.
1: And Many traditions talk
2: about center above here. How far, small, above the the, How far
0: above the head? How uh, far above the
2: head? Two inches above the head or so. Uh-huh. But it is, uh, when you experience the center, when you see, visually, something you see, they look like a balls of light.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So this one look like a ball of light, this one looked like a ball of light, and, like ball of light and, will, and, then, and the head itself. That's one of the ways of experiencing The other way of experiencing them is that they actually feel like brains. Yeah. Like they have gray matter and curves and all that. That shows them that they have intelligence operating through them. But these are specific ways of experiencing that not necessarily everybody will experience them. Most of people will experience the qualities that come through those at these yeah. areas that are opened up and then not clogged. Yeah. But, it also- but the four centers basically the, the three centers are developed and are aligned, are balanced. When they balance the the fourth center automatically you know, opens up. It means the balance of the three centers. We call it the center of life, because these are the components of life. Sensation, action and the belly, heart, feeling, responsive to of the heart, thinking, knowing, discrimination, that all of them together is life.
1: Also, it indicates a consciousness beyond the individual bounded consciousness. It's above the head, it's not above the individual consciousness. So there has to be a recognition that what you are is not bound by the boundaries of your body or the boundaries of an entity. That what's alive and what is living is the located consciousness that is inseparable from consciousness in general. That there isn't a boundedness, it's like a current in the ocean. So to live from that is a full and complete life that is continually completing itself. Maturation continues. It's not like, oh, you get mature, and then you walk around mature. Yeah, maturity means you're interfacing in a mature way with the world, new situations, new learning, but you're not bounded. So for this center to actually be um, open and functional For it to actually be open means there's a recognition that it's not the individual, in the usual sense of the word, as a bounded history, a bounded, separated person. So that's another one of the necessary elements of opening that center, is that it's not about you.
2: Yeah. So we're talking about, this is sort of technical language, we're talking about the actual specific technicalities of the teaching. But divine eros, as we present in the book, you don't need to know all of these things. You just need to know that there are these energies that they need to be liberated and allowed to evolve and develop and harmonize. And that
1: will develop the centers by themselves without focusing. So specifically,
0: and and you've said a few things about this, but I want to be more explicit, which is, if someone still has the experience of a separation between their divine nature and their sexy nature. So here you, yeah. know, you talk about the sexy angel. Yeah, and they're like, yeah I, I get that, but I feel uh, sexy in one moment and like an angel in another moment, but I don't feel in the same moment like a sexy angel. They're separate inside me. Mm-hmm. What, what can I do if I, if I have that experience? Of I, I certainly know what it means to be turned on sexually, and I know what it means to have my heart... Open, but I, I'm not. I don't experience those things at the same time. In fact, often when I feel really sexually turned on, uh, you know, I can't feel my heart at all. I'm just woo, you know. Or when my heart's open, my sexuality. That's, That's how it is for
2: many people. That's just how it is for many people. Well, I mean, it, it is a piece of work to do to work with that. First, you you recognize that they are separate, and then you explore how come, what is the separation? What's creating the separation? Usually, you'll find all kind of difficult emotions and feeling and patterns and history. And as you work through that, that can bring things together. Mm
1: -hmm. But there also may be assumptions of what it means to have your heart open when you're feeling sexy, that you would feel a certain way, or that uh, certainly one of the things would be to sense your heart area when you're feeling sexy, what's going on there. It means bringing your practice to that moment. Or when you feel angelic and pure, what's going on in the pelvis? How do you feel? How does it change your state when you sense your genitals? And does it, it, do you feel actually, well, actually I feel very pure there? Or You might be just assuming what it would be like also, since it would be new or different. Yeah. Explore when you're in those states. You go, well, what is going on? Rather than, I want my heart to open now. Come on, it's like well, what, just what do I feel there? Yeah, what's happening there?
2: Yeah, so you start with you, the question, okay?
1: Yeah,
2: you start with the question you had, and you try to answer it experientially. I feel them separate, and then, then the question: How come?
1: Yeah, or what's happening there? Do they, do, do there they need
2: to be separate? Mm-hmm. What's separating them? Do I want is it okay for me to that way? Or do I want them to be different?
1: But also, just by yeah. sensing your heart when you're turned on can start to bring the issues. You don't have to think about it. It's just sensing there and putting your attention there as you're feeling that kind of energy can start to bring out. You might get teary or you might... So you just let the feelings come up and you can spend some time later inquiring into what happened. But just by having your attention on both, that will start the process.
0: I'd like to ask you both a personal question which is to know how this teaching and investigation of divine eros uh, potentially changed or matured you in the process of really investigating and teaching this material, what the growth developments were
2: for each of you. Yeah, so that's an ongoing thing yeah. from, from the beginning. It is, in, it is part of this path that we work with the centers on the, on the various life situations and one's marriage and one's work and one's relationship So it's part of what each one of us had to go through you know Karen's married, married Samta, I'm married, I have, we have friends we have our relationship so just clarifying those and making sure that we know how to handle them in a way that works that is appropriate, uh, brings up those things, and we got to work on them. Also, the spiritual realization itself, as it arises, the present that arises, it manifests its possibility, its quality, it, ch- it pushes in those areas, because it wants to go into all, it want to fill the whole consciousness, it want to fill the whole field, yeah. so it encounters those Areas that are not open and will appear as tension or issues or fear or conflicts, and those we look into. Them. And, and as that happens, those areas become clarified, dissolved, and the spiritual energy flows more freely and brings out the possibilities of those areas in, in life.
1: It also for us, a so um, new
2: continuing process.
1: for me. It, it brought out all of those things that needed to be clarified. It's continuing, as well. But for Hamid and I, there was a very specific shift in the teaching itself that brought this out. Um, it took a while for us to recognize because we're friends and when this energy showed up and we started to feel like we wanted to spend more time together and inquire together and feeling like we didn't want to be apart and we we didn't know what was going on and that actually brought quite an upheaval uh, for me and what we realized is in our friendship there was more and more of an equalizing in terms of the teaching and what was coming through, and that this energy was necessary for the next step in the teaching to happen. That we had to unlock other secrets that one person could not do alone. And that was one of the biggest uh, realizations we had, that our friendship had this component, and that's why we spent time in the book talking about this isn't just about your marriage, partnership, whatever. This is about friendships, any relationship, life, um, and so on, because this came about within the context of our friendship. So for us, it, it became something that was instrumental and in service of the teaching yeah.
2: itself. Yeah. So the friendships and development of the teacher became intertwined.
1: It, which it always had been, but this was much more of a step into an equilibrium where we saw how the, um, there was more of a mutuality, more of a symmetry happening at that time. And that stepped up our responsibility to be honorable about the energy and to use it for the teaching.
2: Uh, so being together so, became practice Yeah. In that way. Yeah, so we Spending time together is always a practice. It's always discoveries of the new realms.
0: Is there a sense yeah. of why a teaching like the Diamond Approach needs to come through... Uh, uh, two people needs to come through a relational experience versus just one person? Like, wh- 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 parts it? of it. Yeah, Not all of it. of it. I mean, for
2: a long time, it was the need to... Be, but the certain parts of it to move on to different areas, it seemed... That's how it happened. We, 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 don't don't have, we don't know that it has to be that way for, yeah. for any teaching, but that's how it happens.
1: One of the things that I've thought of is because the area that we got into was so subtle and so uh, beyond... It, it was such a twist in the paradigm, in the diamond approach, that was very hi- hierarchical for some time. It was very progressive toward the Absolute and realization of the Absolute. And then that became a wormhole to a whole nother way of looking at reality. That that particular shift in paradigm needed some kind of very strong energy, just like a spaceship leaving the universe to another universe. I mean, literally a whole shift. And I think there was something about that that needed yeah. Both of us to come at it from a different way. We, we always have come at the teaching from a slightly different way, that given different facets it, yeah. and so on. But this was like a shift that had to really shake things
2: up and move it. Yeah, it, it reminds me of some of the teach, Eastern teaching, like some of the Tibetan Buddhist teaching, like the, some of the higher Tantra, like the Maja and others. They same to to make the the final step, or some of the major steps, there are only two yogas that can do them. Sexual Tantra, or Death Yoga, to practice at the time of death. And most of them think Death Yoga is easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they believe, because the sexual Tantra is hard, hard to, to control they believed in those tantras that you have to practice one of those to really to go to some of the deeper steps. For us we didn't do any of those to these two things. It happened through the interaction. That's what brought in the erotic. Instead of sexual it became an erotic and energy that unified us made us become like a one being. You see. And
0: to end yeah. our conversation I want to actually yeah. talk about that becoming one being or not being one being and what i mean by that is this call or this longing for divine union that so many people feel with whoever they have this magnetic call to i just i just want i want to experience our oneness and maybe for i think most people there's an experience of touching it maybe it's in the moment of sexual embrace or maybe it's a moment of staring into your partner's eyes, yeah. and you melt. And you, But then, for I think most people, there's this sense of, now I, I feel separate again. Maybe even only 1% of me feels separate. And some
2: people but experience it like with their teachers sometimes. Or with or their, their Spiritual teacher. teachers. And yeah, kind of and there's
1: many levels of unity, yeah. like the, the kind of sweetness that one can experience where you feel melted together, or you feel united in a deeper way where you feel like there's a union uh, beyond the two, and then you can actually feel, it, you know, so there's the vastness and the both of you are just arising out of that and you feel united in in that. And then there's the feeling that you're inseparable in any way, no matter what you're doing, whether you're feeling love or feeling, yeah. it's like... Um, so there's many, many different levels of what one would call unity. And I don't know if it's something you can make happen, but the love is instrumental in bringing that closeness together. The love has to be very clear and very open to whatever is really in front of you. And the union can't happen out of I desire it for myself. So I think my question, though, is what do you do with that longing? Someone feels the That's longing. the conduit for it. When you feel the longing and you allow yourself to completely feel it. One hundred percent. It becomes with, the love. Reduce it from, yeah. you know, decouple it from the object you're longing for. That opens up to, you don't long for something you don't love. So the love is inherent in longing. The heart is saying, that's where i want to be that's what i want that you know so there's a wanting to it so the longing opens up to the intimacy and that intimacy will show you what you are in fact intimate with so the the way to the divine through divine tantra is partly for us allowing the longing and not acting out on it and finding that your nature is hidden within that treasure longing a treasure
2: see it's inherent to reality and to the true nature of reality that it is single unified uh, indivisible there is an inherent unity underlying all of reality so when we're longing for union we really our deeper nature asserting itself because the deeper nature is there is no separation in many ways and many kinds and many levels and so it asserts itself and one of the ways it asserts itself is we become aware of that force of that union, we feel it as a yearning or longing we're closer to the force if we feel it as a love as a love that's inseparable from desire it's a, what we call magnetic love, love that wants to bring the two as close as possible. And some, it, it, it can become sexual love, but you, if you really feel the love fully, you realize even the sexual union won't do it. It's closer than that.
1: It's an inner penetration because that can be satisfied. Is the union
2: that. will bring a deeper realization of what reality is, the characteristic of Awareness that many people don't talk about. Everybody says awareness is one. But what does that mean? Most people think awareness is one means it is one infinite expanse. Actually it's not the case. You know, the, the, the true nature is not infinite expanse. True nature doesn't have a size. It's not an expanse, it's not big, it's not small. It big. could be like a point or could be infinite. It, neither of those. So as a result, it's the fact of its unity that has no size and shape appears as a love that wants to bring things together. And we feel it in human relationship as uh, the love people have with each other.
1: So that longing is part of the language of the heart that says, feel me, feel me totally. Feel let me consume you. And Being consumed in the longing doesn't mean just stick to the longing, let it develop, let it take you where it will. It has a draw to it. At first the draw is inward. It takes you into it. You're consumed by it, and that lets you dissolve in it. And then you find out sometimes what you actually have been longing for.
2: Yeah, so through the heart, this... Uh, draw toward reality. What is the nature of reality? The reveal itself appears as longing or love. And the mind will appear as a desire for enlightenment, wanting to know. You see? But it is the same force.
1: And by liberating this desire and letting it speak through the heart and the mind, that can be a complete and total union that allows yourself to feel yourself as a singularity really beyond time and space, really beyond the vastness, and that's that paradigm shift that had to happen for us, that this desire allowed the energy to build to the point that allowed us to leave the universe of the diamond approach and add another, a whole another level to the diamond approach, but we actually thought we were leaving the teaching. We had to let go of everything, and that's the other part of this, is that everything dies. You have to let your partner die, let let the object of your desire die, and you don't know what's there, and then you find out what's there. And you find out what's really true about what's there. But first, it means you have to really enter into the unknown. You have to go fully into the unknown, and the unknown gets more and more complete.
2: So it's really the drive of reality to reveal its inherent unity, and it can manifest between people and different kind of relationship. And we're noticing in our school, because it's emerging in the school, that drive, some people experience it, or somebody had doing an exercise, or somebody in the field, this union, some people mistake it to mean that they should be lovers. That's not necessarily, that's the experience of union, maybe they'd be supposed to be loved or maybe not. It's just learning about the unity. So we're having to educate a lot of people, that just because you feel it, because that they don't know, People don't know how to explain it, when they feel that drive, that, that magnetic force. They think it means they should get married, they should leave their marriages, they should leave their job. It does not mean, it's, it is an inner, an inner force that's revealing some kind of a deep truth. And first you need to recognize what is this deeper truth before you decide about your life, or well, how whether it should stay the same or change.
1: That can actually hamper it, trying to explain it away or take action that might thwart the, the realization. Did that answer your question?
0: Let the longing turn into love and stay yeah. with that energy and let yeah. it flower and grow. And
2: Blogging turned to love and love turned to union. That's really the stage. Or something else might happen.
1: Who knows?
0: My thanks to Hamid Ali, who writes under the pen name A.H. Almas, and Karen Johnson for being with me in person for this conversation on the power of divine eros. With Sounds True, A.H. Almas has created an audio learning course on the Diamond Approach, as well as the program Realization Unfolds, a dialogue with Adyashanti. He's also created with Sounds True, a dialogue with Cynthia Bourgeau, and one with Dan Siegel, all available at SoundsTrue.com. SoundsTrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thank you for listening.